I'm Emily Danielson and welcome once again. We are now at the conclusion, part four of the four-part sermon series by Mr. Bible Idiot himself, my husband, Chris Danielson. Today we get the full and very exciting explanation of the Kinsman Redeemer as Chris brings this final message of the series from the book of Ruth. Let's go to the main auditorium at Fresh Encounter Church in Harlan, Iowa. Here's Chris. This is part four of a four-part sermon series on the little book of Ruth. And this is the one that uh, I've been waiting for. We're redeemed and we're going to proclaim it. I've always told people, because I've, I've done the debates and I've been around those, and I just have never been with somebody who got their butt handed to them in an argument and then became saved. You know, I'm not the debater that's going to change hearts, but our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, will come down and will change lives. And, and, and that's what we're here to talk about today. This is such a, <laughs> I always say, that's my favorite Bible verse. That's my favorite. And, and I've got like 30 of them. It's like they can't all be your favorites. But in that moment, they can. All right. We got a long run in scripture today. It's Ruth chapter 4. Verses 1 through 17. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word out of respect. And uh, just go with me on this story. Like I say, this is not a quick little two-verse two read, and then we're going to exegete it. This is a whole passage which brings this four-part series to a conclusion. So here we go. Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders in the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the partial of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not... But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, ha, 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 the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to uh, perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, oh, look, can't do it. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting to Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. 
May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in all of Israel, and he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons and has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, and may I add, in the line of Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. May these be your words, God, to your children. Bless this message now. Amen. Be seated, please. Now, that's a long run, and I could have chopped that up and just hit five or six highlighted verses, and it would have probably been much more comfortable for us. But I wanted you to hear it in the story context. See, just to review where we've been so we can get on with it today, the little book of Ruth begins with a series of tragedies. In fact, it only takes about 15 minutes to read the whole book of Ruth if you want to do that today. I think you'd be blessed. But in chapter 1, there's a famine, right? Then there's this backslidden family that had gone off to Moab. And then there's three funerals. There's great fear and then a final goodbye. And we are introduced in chapter 1 to a young widow by the name of Ruth, which is what the book is named. And I've made the case all throughout this series that it could have been named Boaz and it could have been named Naomi just as legitimately. But it's named Ruth. And Ruth is from the land of Moab. Now, we didn't spend a lot of time on this, but if you want to look it up, it's Deuteronomy 23.3. Moab is a cursed land and a cursed people. The Bible says up to the 10th generation. So she is a woman under a curse. So the providence of God, somehow she marries into an Israelite family that has left Israel to go to Moab to try to survive in a famine. Okay, But this means that young Ruth would have been introduced to the ways of Yahweh for sure and probably Yahweh himself. And so after the death of her husband, Ruth follows Naomi back to the land of Israel, and then they proceed to try to make the best living they possibly can, which isn't much. It's in chapter 2. This first portion of Ruth is a sad spectacle. It presents in graphic detail just what happens in the lives of those of us who want to live outside the will of God. Thankfully, God has a plan for Naomi and Ruth. Because their husbands are dead, I can't put into words in modern-day America to really understand how handicapped these women were. They, I mean, they were handcuffed. There was not options for them to go out and even care for themselves. They would have been living in poverty. And they had no way of reclaiming the family land. When they went back to Israel, they went back with just the hope of trying to survive and the fact that they might be able to reclaim their land was a for, you know, they, they didn't have that option. See, it goes back to when the children of Israel possessed the land of Canaan. And there's so many great stories in there with Joshua and with Caleb. And, and this winter, we'll get into some of that because it's just so awesome. But the land was divided up among 12 tribes. 
So within these allotments, the land was then divided up among families. No man was allowed to sell his land outside his tribe. In the case of financial struggles, a man might be forced to mortgage his land, and in this case, he lost all rights to the land until it's been redeemed or paid off, just kind of like what we do. We don't have a year of jubilee when all debts are canceled. They did every 50 years. But apparently, this is what happened to the land that belonged to Elimelech. The women, Naomi and Ruth, had no way of getting back the land that belonged to their family. That's a key to this message today. Thankfully, where man fails, God provides. And God prevails. I can't stress how helpless these women were. They are getting excited in the early chapters of Ruth to actually go to the edge of the field. Ruth could go to the edge of the field and glean a, you know, a little beggar's portion of wheat and then Boaz dumped that 25 sack on her remember that see the law of the kinsman redeemer now comes into play today the kinsman redeemer was a relative who protected the needy members of his family and now there were three things that a kinsman redeemer could redeem or buy back ready number one a relative sold into slavery that's in Leviticus 25 verse 47 through 49 number two Preserve the lineage of the family by marrying the widow of a deceased relative and providing an heir for family possessions. This was a common thing. It's given to you in graphic detail in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 6. But in a nutshell, the children produced from such a union were considered the offspring of the deceased man for just this purpose, for land and for resources, right? And then number three... The land that had been sold outside of the family in Leviticus 25.25. So it's against this backdrop of tragedy and trials we are introduced to a man named Boaz. He is a near kinsman to Naomi's dead husband. And in this short but powerful book, we get to watch as the kinsman redeemer works on behalf of these two poor widows. And he willingly exercises the rights and duties of a kinsman redeemer. Now, he makes the difference in their lives, and all of that is to say this. This presents a thrilling picture of the great kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. In order for a person to be a kinsman redeemer, they had to have three qualifications. Number one, had to be a near relative. Number two, had to be willing to redeem. And number three, had to be able to redeem. Boaz fulfilled all these requirements, and as I'm going to show you today, so did Jesus, our heavenly kinsman redeemer. So let's focus on a few events in this wonderful book. I call this message Redeemed and Proclaiming It. It's, I don't know how any of us that are redeemed cannot not proclaim it. It's, it's just part of us. So I got it broken down into four little cute little points. Number one, Boaz had the right to redeem. This was his right. He was a member of the family, his right by lineage. He's near kin. Boaz fulfilled his obligation since he was a near kinsman. He had every right to intervene for these women. And as we see throughout chapter 4, which I just read to you, he did it appropriately. He didn't get all enamored with Ruth in the love story narrative that so many people get caught up in, which is true in this, but it's not the main thrust. Why? Because when he goes to the city gates... He's not after Ruth, he's after appropriateness in the kinsman redeemer executing 
the ways of the land. So he had a right. He was there to intervene for these women because it was his right. Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, possesses this right on behalf of the sinner. Why? Because he is near kin to us. 2,000 years ago in the same little town of Bethlehem, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, spoke his goodbyes to the Father in heaven and came to this world not to live as God among men, but to be born as a man. 1 John 1.1, or I'm sorry, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians 2, 5 and 8, just as a sidebar. But as a member of the human family, Jesus has the right to be our Redeemer. Now, going back to our story in Ruth, we notice that there is one that is nearer kin to Boaz. And that's in chapter 4, verses 3 and 6. However, this guy refused to do his duty as Redeemer. Why? He didn't want Ruth. He said, oh yeah, land? Prosperity? Yeah, I'll redeem this. Oh, I get Ruth? No, I don't want it. See, they had their inheritances set up for their family. By redeeming Ruth and Naomi, he would have gotten Ruth, would have cut into the other plans he had for his family. So the guy's not a bad guy. It's not like this guy you know, said no and oh, he's just, he's, no, he's just doing the math and he's like, that ain't for me. Because he would have had to redeem Ruth. And it's awesome that when Boaz points that out, that's when he begs off. I think that's really cool. Because the kinsman redeemer that was closer than Boaz, he knew she was from a cursed people. He knew she had absolutely nothing to offer him. I mean, after all, she was poor. He had the right, but he would not do the job. And so it is with humanity. There are a lot of things around us that promise redemption, things like law and religion, and these things can never deliver. They are powerless to help the powerless. When the law sees the sin, sinner, what does it do? When we focus on the law as sinful people, what does it do? It's, it amplifies our inadequacies. When religious sees the sinner, what does religion do? It merely looks at us for what we can give to it. Neither can redeem. Boaz, on the other hand, he knew who Ruth was. He knew her past. He knew her condition. He knew what she had to offer. He knew about the curse that was on her people. However, he didn't care. You see, unlike the other kinsmen, Boaz was like Ruth. This is a key point. Don't miss this. I've said it before, but don't miss it. Look at Boaz's lineage. What does Boaz come from? Not much. It becomes clear Boaz wasn't concerned about marrying his inheritance. His own mother was a person of unclean birth. Boaz's mother is Rahab the harlot from Joshua chapter 2. So it is with our heavenly Boaz. His own mother was a common born into sin person. Yes, Mary was a virgin. Yes, she was chosen by God. But let's not make any mistake about it. Biblically, she was born into the sin of Adam no different than you and I. Therefore, Jesus, I think, has compassion on the lost. He was born of the seed of the woman. And he came to crush the head of the serpent. 
The law makes demands we can't meet. Religion promises that which it cannot deliver. Jesus, on the other hand, provides what we need freely and fully. That's why I get excited. Another reason reason Boaz did what he did was because the law of God demanded it. It appeared from reading this book that Boaz was a godly man. I think he had a desire to carry out the will of God. He was a man of faith. Again, what a portrait of the Lord Jesus. People, I think, forget how willingly Jesus came and did everything he did. He took the place of you and me on the punishment cross. Did he have to? No. But in the council of glory, long before the very first molecule or atom of the world were ever fashioned, the Godhead knew there would come a day when we would need a kinsman redeemer. When the call was made, who will go for us, Jesus responded with, I got this. And I tell you that out of Revelation 13.8. That's where I get that statement. Let's look at it together. See, it tells us that Jesus was already dead in the mind of God before the foundations of the world. In 13.8 it says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship of everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. People say, Chris, what's the greatest thing that you can possibly have on the days where you draw breath? The fact that my name's written in the Lamb Book of Life. There ain't nothing else. Everything, every, everything else pales. And from that, everything grows out of. And it was from the foundation of the world. You see, the law demands death for sin, and Jesus went to the cross so that we might be discharged from the law of God. He had a right to die in our place because he is family and because he fulfilled the requirements of the law. So let's continue our comparison with point number two today. Boaz had the resolve to redeem. Naomi knows that Boaz is a near kinsman, so what does she do? She instructs Ruth to go to him, cover with the cloak. We covered all this last week. And this was literally a way for Ruth to tell Boaz, will you marry me? Will you be our kinsman redeemer? And Naomi before Ruth even goes, said, you go do this, trust me, Boaz will get right to work. <laughs> and what does Boaz do? Start worrying about his inheritance? How is this going to affect my bottom line? None of us ever think how it's going to affect our bottom line when, when we get redeemed by our kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer, Boaz in this situation, he has joy of being chosen by Ruth. And he lets her know he would be delighted to be the kinsman redeemer, just like Naomi said. So I ask you, in our parallel comparison today, or as they'd use big words in seminary, as we juxtapose these two thought ideas, <laughs> did Jesus have to be hogtied and forced to go to Calvary for you or for me? The Bible says that he went there without a word. When he stood before Pilate, he never tried to defend himself to get out of the death that was coming. He desired the death that he died because he wanted to pay the redemption price for you and me. And so much so that even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he talks to God and says, if this cup can pass from me, please let it be. I'm not jonesing to go have this happen to me, but I will redeem these people that are written in the foundation before the world began in the book of life, which is what? 
the Lamb's book of life, which is what? The sacrificial Lamb, which is who? The one who could live perfectly and be the spotless Lamb is the only one who could do that. Who's that? One person, Jesus Christ. So when he comes to earth and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, as we're going to get into in December, it's a sign under the shepherd that this is the spotless Lamb. It all ties together, and the more you get excited about it, the more it's like, I need a kinsman redeemer, and I have one. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says this about the redemption price for you and me. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Religion can't touch that. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross was of a willing nature. He did it because he wanted to. That's love. That's love that, I, 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 I was a loved child. I had decent parents. I mean, we grew up with limited resources, but I know what it's like to be loved. I have a wife who is the love of my life, and I'm the love of hers. It's been a great 37-year run. I know love, but I ain't never felt love like the kinsman redeemer who died in my place. In chapter 3, verse 18, it tells us Naomi is convinced Boaz will get right to business. And in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, as we started today, it bears this out. So Boaz goes to the city gate, and he gets all the elders, and, and, and he does it all appropriately. I don't want you to miss that. That's a little sidebar. But Boaz goes and does everything the way it's supposed to be done. No shortcuts. No side deals. You know, I mean, I can imagine if I'm Boaz, when I first got to the gates, the first thing I'd do is I'd pull the kinsman in front of me aside and say, hey, by the way, let's make a deal. That's how we do things in my world. That's how business gets done, am I right? Not Boaz. No, as an authentic kinsman redeemer, he was going to make sure it was done correctly. So he lays it out there, and the dude's all about it at first. Then he finds out Ruth is coming along with it. And he's like, nah, can't do it, can't do it. And Boaz steps up and says, yeah, I'll do it. There's a similarity between Boaz and Jesus that's hard to miss. The Bible indicates Jesus determined to go to the cross and die. The Bible makes it plain Satan tried to destroy our Lord while he walked in this world. Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 4. There were other times when Satan tried to distract the Lord from his appointed task. John 6, 15, John 18, 10, and 11. However, Jesus did not allow these things to sidetrack him. He came for the purpose of dying for sin, and that's exactly what he intended to do. Verse 9 of our text today in chapter 4 tells us that Boaz stayed with the task until it was completed. He paid the purchase price, took off the sandal, whole nine yards. And now, everything that Elimelech had belonged to Boaz. And now Ruth was no longer a widow doomed to a life of poverty. She was the wife of a mighty and wealthy man. Do you process this on your Monday through Saturday? That Jesus, our heavenly Boaz, stayed with the task until it was perfectly completed for you. 
outside the gate of Jerusalem in the presence of witnesses, he paid the price by giving his life on the cross for you and me when the task had been fully accomplished and the Heavenly Father fully satisfied, Jesus proclaimed an end to the transaction in John 19.30. You guys know what the words were? Bet you do. It is finished. Thank God. Fully paid and complete. Point number three today. Boaz had the resources to redeem. Chapter two makes it clear that uh, Boaz is a wealthy man. He had the financial resources to carry out the redemption. And so everything that Emelech has comes to Boaz, lock, stock, and barrel. And like the family Ruth married into, you and I were born into a family that was down and out. You see, our mutual great, 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 Adam, another dozen greats, grandfather, Adam, sinned against the Lord and brought death, destruction, and damnation for all people. And he left us spiritually destitute and without hope. And thank God that's where Jesus stepped in. Everything that Adam lost in the garden, Jesus purchased back on the cross. Adam threw away fellowship with God, Jesus brought it back. Adam tossed away life, Jesus brought it back. Adam tossed away peace with God, Jesus brought it back. He brought joy, blessings, righteousness. He brought every bit of it back for us, and it's a transaction of great magnitude. And we, 2,000 years later, can get into this white noise attitude. Jesus died for my sins. Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And then you just go on with your day. And then sometimes, on a Sunday morning, or on a Tuesday night, or on a Thursday at 2 in the morning when you get up to be part of the fellowship of the fridge, eating stuff you're not supposed to eat, (laughs) and you have that moment with God, and you know that you have a kinsman redeemer. And those of you who are justified, you've you've, you've come to Jesus, you're born again, you have this celebratory heart that you know what you know because you know it. And it's called sanctification. You start growing in this. And guess what you want to do? You want to have the mind of Christ, you want to have the heart of Christ, you want to reflect Christ, so you start playing kinsman redeemer to your brothers and sisters, don't you? to the people in your world, older and younger, in your own little way. See, when Jesus went to the cross and died for us, he's the only one that had the resources for that transaction. Because the law of God demands a sacrifice of a spotless lamb, and who among us, descended from Adam, is spotless? No, not one. That's why the Immaculate Conception, that's why the seed of the woman, that's why Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, can die the sacrificial death for you and I. And it's just a huge, huge thing that it should be part of our everyday life, like breathing and eating. See, Jesus has the resources to buy the sinner. When a sinner trusts the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that sinner becomes a redeemed member of the family of God. He is forever and she is forever purchased and forever changed by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus specializes in taking old, hell-bound losers and saving them by his grace and transforming them into the children of God. 
That makes them then better people, right? They behave better. They're better boys and girls. No. Yes, kind of, maybe, but no. He doesn't come to make bad little boys and girls good little boys and girls. That's not why he died. He died because you and I were all dead in our trespasses and sin, and he came to give us life, and we live. Those of us who know Jesus, eternal life has started already. We've already started eternal life. Isn't that awesome? He purchases the whole person. Many of us have had people go on before us in death. And I know some, I'm thinking of one person in particular in my family, in my lineage that has gone on. And I know they're living eternal life right now. I miss them. And you guys can fill in the blank for you. I'm sure there's someone in your life. But if they knew Jesus and you know they know Jesus, you can have your pain lifted and replaced with peace that you can't conjure up that comes from the Spirit of God because he tells you, I'm making you live, I'm making them live too. And eternal life is on us. I got way sidetracked. Did we do point four? All right, we're at point four. I skipped a half my notes here. Anyway, I was in the moment. I love, I'm sorry, I just love being redeemed so much. And proclaiming it is so fun. And then I try to keep myself like concise because I can get off in the ditch and pretty soon we're talking about football scores and hockey games and traffic and construction and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, point number four is Boaz, Boaz had the reasons to redeem. He had the reasons to redeem. The two reasons I'm going to give you is love and life, okay? There are probably many reasons why Boaz did what he did, but I believe that speaking to our hearts this morning, we can condense it down to love and life. Let's start with love. All of these verses seem to indicate that Boaz has fallen in love with Ruth. So I will give the love story its proper due. But I, like I said when I started the series, if you only see a love story, you're missing so much, and I hope I've shared a lot of that with you. But the love story is there. We can't deny that. And here's the thing that makes it so cool to me. Because Boaz loved her in spite of her lineage. And I can't stress in words in English in America in the new millennium enough. Words don't do justice to how cursed the Moabite people were in that land, in the eyes of the Israelites. But yet Boaz didn't care, he still loved her. He loved her in spite of her poverty. He loved her in spite of the fact that she had nothing to offer him but herself. He loved her with a selfless love that sought nothing but her best interest. And he cares about her and wants to provide for her needs. Therefore, he willingly pays the price for her redemption and buys her unto himself. Don't you see? This is just what Jesus wanted to do for you and for me. And I think of all the multitudes of people that Jesus has saved, why would he ever think about me? But he does. In fact, he was born into the world, endured rejection and shame. He went to the cross for one primary reason, and that primary reason is love. And you want to know something? I'm very happy that he loved you enough to do it, 
but I'm ecstatic out of my mind that he loved me enough to do it for me. And I hope you take that on yourself. See, Jesus, like Boaz, loves us in spite of all those things we have against us. He loves us in spite of all we do wrong. And he loves us even though we are poverty-stricken and we have nothing really to offer him but our broken and shattered lives. And he says that's more than enough. And he loves us and willingly paid redemption on the cross. And then there's the giving of life. Another reason Boaz wanted to marry Ruth was to bring life out of death. Without a kinsman redeemer, the family of Elimelech would die out. That family would perish from Israel. Boaz cared about that family and wanted to preserve life. This is why Jesus went to the cross. This is why he suffered and died for us. His desire is to take those that are dead in sin, and I know that we don't, you know, in, in modern church, we don't like to say this. You know, we, we want to say, and leads to a Christless eternity. What does that mean? That means that those of us who are dead in our sins were headed for hell. He saves us by his grace and he brings life out of that death. And he wants to give life to those who are trapped in that death. This is just what he does for everyone who received him as their Savior and Lord. He provides salvation full and free. He produces life in the place of death. He makes dead men and women live. Like Lazarus in John chapter 11, sinners are trapped in death. And Jesus comes to the tomb of your heart and he cries out your name. And when you hear and you respond, he will give you eternal life through him, what he did. Not because you are all of a sudden now going to have behavior modification and be a good little boy and girl. No, your sins are forgiven forever and now you can live eternally. And your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, if you notice from chapter 2, verse 1, until chapter 4, verse 13, a lot happens. But notice verse 13. Boaz is the center of attention, just like Jesus ought to be. However, this poor heathen girl is now the bride of a wealthy redeemer. She comes back into focus. My, how things have changed for Ruth. The book opens with a funeral and ends with a wedding. And I want you to notice one thing with me right now. Notice in verse 13 what the Bible says about the two in their relationship. It tells us that there is now an intimacy that is possible. It tells us that Boaz is able to do what he could not do in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Now Boaz is able to take Ruth into his arms and love her. They were separated by race, social status, morals, etc. Now they're one flesh and she is as rich as he is. She is able to have fellowship with the most intimate kind with Boaz. They have been brought together in this intimate relationship. And also, don't miss this, just as much this story is of the rescue and the redemption of Naomi. That is what you have in Jesus today if you are saved. You who were once separated from Jesus by a gulf of sin, poverty, have now been brought near to him. You are as rich as he is. You are no longer separated but are in an intimate relationship with Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. We are now no longer doomed. We are now no longer poverty stricken. Now we are no longer as good as dead. Now we live in Jesus. 
And we can rest in his presence. And we can experience the intimacies of his redeeming love. Thank God for redemption. Redeemed and proclaiming it. Is there anything better? Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Redeemed through his excellent mercies. I am his child forever. Are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you and praise you. Lord, if there's anyone here today who needs you as their kinsman redeemer, I ask that they would just cry out to you. And they would ask for the forgiveness that can only come from you. And those of us who are redeemed, Lord, that we come here to worship you, we're justified because of your blood. And as we grow in our sanctification, that big word that means as we go deeper with you, that we would just rejoice in the fact that you hold us in your grip, that you hold us tightly in spite of ourselves. And may we praise your holy name today again, Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To connect with us directly, go to BibleIdiots.com and look for the email address in the upper left-hand corner. We would love to hear from you. You can also connect with us on Facebook. Simply search Bible Idiots. I'm Emily Danielson, and if you like what you hear, please share this with the people in your world.